It's Wednesday, June 15th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool stock advisor Andy Cross, from income investor James Early, and from Motley Fool hidden gems Charlie Travers. Guys, good to see you. Good to see you, Chris. JCPenney shareholders get some great news, and one biotech company makes history with its annual report. But we begin today with another big IPO. This time, it's online music service Pandora. Shares opened at 20 and climbed to as high as 26. Guys, at 20 a share, Pandora would be valued at around $3.2 billion. Now, Charlie, I know you like Pandora, the service. Yes. Uh, Pandora, the company, has lost over $90 million since it started 11 years ago. What do you think about Pandora, the stock? Uh, I've been a longtime user of Pandora. There's a lot going for this company. They have a great brand. They're attracting a lot of users. And the you know the company and the people there seem to be really passionate about music. They've built out this music genome project over the past decade, and it's solid. So there's a lot of good pieces in place. You know, This is a, a typical Motley Fool kind of company with passionate people doing what they love. Um, that being said, going through the prospectus, there's a lot of red flags from an investing angle, uh, despite massive of increases in revenue over the past three years, and it's good to see that their losses have thinned. But the problem is that Pandora is still losing money, and that's something that you have to be uh, worried about before you invest. James? Buying a business losing money is like marrying someone who still has feelings for someone else. I mean, you you hope it ends soon. In this case, it's been 11 years this company's been losing money. I mean, when's that going to change? It's just not doing it for me. Yeah, you're certainly not buying this for today. I mean, you're you're, you're buying 90 million uh, registered users who, um, on average, listen to, what, like 50 hours of music or content on, on Pandora a year. So you are buying the, the future streams of cash flow now. As James said, we haven't seen them yet, and when right. we see them is a big question. But you know, there's a lot of intellectual property behind this company, and, and it does Sounds have like a lot of you're kind of a believer, is it? You know, I'm, a belie- I'm actually watching the stock. Like, like Charlie mentioned, I'm a, I'm a big user of it. Um, my parents even use Pandora, which always, to me, whenever they, they use something <laughs> on the computer, I get, I get actually interested about that as well, too. So there's a lot of challenges on the financial side, but there's no doubt that Growth rates are there. There's a lot of excitement, obviously, around IPO prices right now. So, so the, the stock you know took off, and now it's like 20 times revenue or something like that. So it, it certainly is expensive, but it's certainly wa- worth watching because of the growth perspective. Uh, Pandora only offered about 9% of its shares to the public. Uh, that is much, that's a much lower percentage than your typical IPO. Uh, the CEO said it's because the major shareholders in the company didn't want to sell their stake I don't know, Charlie. What what does that well, move the, tell you? The one reason not to sell the stake is they believe they're going to get a higher price for it in the future. I mean, that's plain and simply it. Um, and I, I would view that as a pretty big vote of confidence. Usually, uh, you know, private company investors want that liquidity event so they can cash out and move on to their next big thing. And it is interesting that they're holding on. What does Pandora do for me that iTunes doesn't? I, I mean, I'm ignorant of the service. Oh, so if you punch in a band that you do like, the idea is that through their algorithms, uh, they will pop up similar music that you are also likely to find interesting. And I found it a way to discover new artists I would have never found otherwise. Yeah, that's a really cool thing. Like Tim Wintergren founded it back in 2000, and he's a composer, and so he wanted a way to use other sharing of information from different members in, the, in, in a network to be able to find different bands and different music styles. So it's really it's really helpful to to learn all about different kinds of music that you may not have found other ways. So is that Pandora's competitive advantage? Because this is from a competition standpoint, and even if you look at you know you expand it and look at potential competition, um, you've got. 
Sirius XM. You've got uh, Apple and Google with sort of uh, cloud-based music services. Um, is that really the biggest advantage you think Pandora has? I, w- I would say so, Chris. And, you know, it, this has a lot of hidden gem kind of qualities, which is a service Andy and I work on. And that people always scoff at the little companies, not and in this case, not being able to compete with, like, Google and Apple. But the difference maker in these kinds of situations is that passionate kind of leadership where you have a CEO who really is a musician. This is a company that's hired uh, hundreds of musicians to dissect songs and give their consumers a great experience for it. And that's how they win. You know, over in our Rule Breakers growth, really high growth service, um, which has been just phenomenally successful, um, that one thing they look for is smart backing and smart management teams mm-hmm. when they look at these growth companies. And if you look at Pandora, they are backed by, I mean, Tim Winogren sits on the board still. Um, Peter Gocher, who's the chair of Dolby, he's on the board. Um, Peter Chernin, who was formerly of, of Fox News Corp and 20th Century Fox, he's on there, as is Barry McCarthy, who's the former CFO of Netflix for 12 years. So they do have a lot of smart thinking on board with Pandora, especially in this space, in the entertainment space. So that's why I'm watching it. I think it's very interesting to see how this stock plays out. Well, flipping that around, what do you think is the big threat to Pandora? Is it one of those? Is it is it an Apple or a Google or SiriusXM? Or? I have a little bit of deja vu in that Pandora at this point is still an advertising-driven business that uh, kind of has some echoes of the dot-com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was like, well, if they can convert people over to paid subscribers, which currently cost $36 a year. However, the downside there is that then they don't get to serve ads to that population and their actual royalty rate that they pay goes up. So that's not necessarily a good trade, which really puts them at the mercy of the ad market. And that is the, the, the content question is the big question. Right. I mean, I saw an estimate this morning that said um, by, by 2015 or something in that realm, um, 70% of their revenues are will be sucked up by um, uh, content costs. So right. very much like we've seen with Netflix, which has been able to be phenomenally successful in the, in the IP space. Pandora is an IP intellectual property company, but they do have to pay for that content and monetize it. So they don't get any benefits of signing up additional users. They are paying a flat rate per song played, so there's no scale advantages that they get here. And this royalty rate is going to creep up every year through 2015. They negotiate a new rate starting in 2014 for what goes beyond there. Um, But this is really the big question mark as to how they control their costs going forward and how profitable they'll be in the future. Users can also customize their own channels with Pandora. Um, if, If you're on the proverbial desert island and you only get one artist, one musician to, you know, to go with your channel. Who are you going with, Charlie? Uh, Wu-Tang Clan. Okay. <laughs> Not even having to think about it. James. No. You know, I, I, I'm more of a genre guy. I, I love 80s music, especially early 80s music. Um, Kajagugu? Kajagugu, yes. Kajagugu's solid. <laughs> Those guys kind of erupted after their fame. It really was not good for them, but um, Minute Work is solid also. But yeah, Kajagugu is pretty good, yeah. Andy? I'll go with the boss. Bruce Springsteen. All right. I get him and Rick Springfield. Yeah, uh, yeah. Can do. W- which one did yeah. Jesse's Girl? Uh, that was Rick Springfield, Rick Springfield. Oh, I believe. Okay. All right. All right. Boss had a f- <laughs> had one or two other hits. I don't actually get them confused. I just find that, like, for, for really hardcore, passionate Bruce Springsteen fans, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a source of tension. Anyway, how much is JCPenney's new CEO worth? More than a billion dollars. Shares of JCPenney's up. 17.5% yesterday, adding $1 billion in market cap after Ron Johnson was named as the company's new CEO. Johnson has a track record of success in the retail industry, first at Target and most recently at Apple, where he was the architect of Apple's retail stores. Andy, I'm tempted to ask how good is this guy, cause, but you know, I, I already know he's, 
He's a billion good. The market spoke is in he, him, Chris. Is he that good? Well, so so the the folks at uh, J.C. Penney, um, including Bill Ackman of, of Pershing Square, who owns sixteen percent of the company, um, obviously excited with uh, Ron Johnson. But they're obviously hoping that they have bought um, a Dirk Nowitzki here, not a LeBron James. So um, <laughs> spending the money to get um, a, a talent, and they are spending the money if the stock performs. But he could very well be worth every penny. He is probably the he was probably the number one free agent out there in when retail. it comes in retail uh, to get, and they got him. When you look at uh, sort of sales per square foot, Apple's actually number one in the category. Um, Coach and uh, Tiffany, Tiffany, Tiffany they're high, but Apple is actually number one. It's like $4,400 per square foot. JCPenney right now, uh, about $150 per square foot. So (laughs) obviously there's some room for improvement there. What is, I mean, with 1,100 stores, what is item number one on Ron Johnson's agenda when he takes over as CEO this fall? So the one thing that, that, that he has talked about and what he's done at Apple and done so well is is they took Steve Jobs' vision, which was driven a lot by Mickey Drexler of, of The Gap back in 99, who was on the board at Apple, and really took this retail concept and, and revolutionized the retail space, opening the storefront, wood floors, really serving the customer's needs rather than a product. And that's the one thing that Ron Johnson has talked about coming into uh, a store like JCPenney. Now, you could say that maybe Nordstrom in that space does this better than almost anyone when they say, when you go into Nordstrom's store and you Mm -hmm. say, I'm looking for a suit or whatever, they really may help you try to find what you really need. James? We're in a a fairly wealthy area where JCPenney is not as strong a retail presence, Chris, uh, just because of, of, of the demographic, I think. But it's also because... Stores like Target have shown a better way of reaching people who want to spend a little bit less on either household items or clothing. So for me, I think JCPenney really needs to, to, to revamp its clothing line because when you go there, what do you buy that you couldn't get something for the same price? You get something more fashionable at, at, a, at a Marshalls or at a, even a Target or you could, get, you could spend more and get better service at a Nordstrom. So it's kind of in this weird middle ground and I think they need to leave that middle ground and go up or down. And you have to remember when Ron was at Target, he changed the merchandising focus to clothing. And so I think he'll bring a lot of that thinking. He said that his job is to rethink everything, bring, bring fresh creativity to JCPenney. And I expect he'll do that in big ways. That experience at Target seems a heck of a lot more relevant than the experience at Apple, where you basically have a small footprint store with a product that sells itself to people who know they're who walk in the door know they're going to buy something. It's a cult, too. right? Uh, but <laughs> well, it was uh, wait a minute, but a highly profitable, <laughs> highly cult. profitable. But you know, J.C. Penney doesn't have that kind of differentiation that an Apple store does. So you know, the the success at Target uh, does seem to bode well, and I'd be curious to see how this plays out. And I agree with that, Charlie. And remember, I mean, like Target had a, had a really kind of hip cachet. I mean, like people called it Target. I don't know if people people call that anymore, but it did have that. That's a lot to do with Ron Johnson. He helped start the retail concept at Apple when no one was, was doing um, computer stores uh, really well on the retail level. I remember um, Gateway. Yeah, Gateway, Gateway doesn't count. Just, yeah, Gateway <laughs> was just, you know, just flop. So people were like, oh, gosh, here we go again with Apple doing their thing. And now it's just totally changed the business. I'll just deflate everyone's balloon a little bit here and say I predict ultimate failure here. Um, you know, I, I think he will improve it, but the brand name is just so tarnished from years of mediocrity. I mean, people tried the same thing with Sears. Let's make Sears a hot concept. It just didn't work. So – 
they could succeed, but it just seems like they've got so far to go. It is, and retail's a tough, a tough business. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Mickey Drexler, who was so successful at Gap, and then it kind of he kind of fell in hard times. You know, just the, the just it was hard to do anything with the Gap concept. Now it's been fifteen years, and the Gap stock is pretty much where it was fifteen years ago. So retail's a very tough business. You need a lot of visionary leadership. Ron Johnson has proven that he's done that in in different ways in different categories. So I expect good. Are things you married from to him. Ron Johnson? <laughs> I am not. <laughs> just just asking. All right. Before we get to our final story, I need to mention to all our listeners out there that uh, today the Motley Fool app finally launched on the Yay. Apple uh, App Store, uh, also on the Google Android App Store. Um, you can download it for free. Hundreds of stories every week published on Fool.com. You can just get them right through the Motley Fool app. You can also get the podcast. You can also get the Mar- Market Foolery podcast, Motley Fool Money. Really easy, and oh, did I mention it was free, Charlie? Do I get like 10 free nature walk tours from James Early? You know what? That's going to be in version 2.0 if of the show app. show up, we'll, I'll okay. try that. It's a $79.95 value, so. Okay. That's the Motley Fool app for free on the Google Android Store and Apple's App Store. All right, our final story. Guys, if a public company wants to spice up its annual report, it will typically add glossy photos, catchy marketing language. United Therapeutics, a biotech firm here in the D.C. area, has raised the bar by publishing its latest annual report in the form of a comic book. It includes sales figures in 3D as well as 3D glasses. Charlie? I mean, you're a biotech guy. Yes. Is this now the greatest biotech company in the history of the world <laughs> just by virtue of this? That, that The uh, fancy annual letter kind of always scares me off from biotech companies. It's like a distraction from what's really going on in the business. And you get like all these like art paintings and these, you know, very sophisticated theme publications and it's it's a distraction. But this is a comic book. This is this is an, an annual report that my son would want to read. Maybe as a way to get children excited about investing. <laughs> is your an son appeal? an investor? <laughs> Not yet. And the other ho- thing, hopefully maybe someday. he will be. If this is cool now, you got you got to think there's going to be all these imposters who want to approximate coolness with their own comic books, and it, it could kind of degrade the genre over time. But I don't know if you guys are familiar, but this company is more interesting than just the comic book part. Um, they hold these meetings in, in Second Life, this virtual reality uh, thing, and, and, and I mean, just in terms of, of being progressive, the CEO is a, is a Martin... Uh, Rothblatt it used to be Martin Rothblatt and had a, a an operation to become Martine. So it's just a very very unique company. It's a unique in so culture many ways. at United yeah, Therapeutics. In so many ways. And, and actually, read his or her story. It's actually pretty cool. Uh, I think the daughter had uh, had a, um, a health issue, and, and that sort of prompted him to get into uh, out of tele, uh, satellite business and into this biotech stuff. Um, if a public company comes to you and says, all right, we, we want to top United Therapeutics, because, I mean, the first comic book annual report has already been done. Yeah. So if, let's say Ron Johnson at, at JCPenney comes to yes. you, Charlie, and says, how do we top it? Have I got an idea for you, Chris? Awesome. My favorite genre of book as a child was the Choose Your Own Adventure. And so you open up the annual report, <laughs> oh, and then, solid. yeah, do you want to go to the balance sheet or the footnotes, and you just turn to page 83, and you're there. Oh, okay. You're not uh, saying choose your own sales figures. Choose your own interpretation. Oh, right. yeah, this is not yeah. Chinese companies choose, here. Choose my growth interpretation of, of our, our numbers. Yeah, that would be my vote. 25% growth rate. A wrap, but Charlie's beating me on that. Andy, what do you think? I'm 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 hiring uh, the, the, the Glee singers from the Glee TV show to, to sing the annual report. 
Wow, a musical annual. Musical. So it's kind of like musical. the Hallmark cards where you open exactly. up and you get a song. Yeah. <laughs> Spare no expense when you're trying to fool your stockholders. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Travers, James Early, Andy Cross. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>